0: Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive.
1: From Spirituality and Health magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today, Dr. Cheryl Pallant is an award-winning author, poet, dancer, healer, professor, and workshop leader. Her previous books include A Collection of Poetry, Her Body Listening, Ginseng Tango, A Memory About Her Life in South Korea, and Writing and the Body in Motion, A Guide to Somatic Writing. Her newest book, Ecosomatics, Embodiment Practices for a World in Search of Healing, is reviewed in the May, June, 2023 issue, of Spirituality and Health magazine. Cheryl Pallant, welcome to Spirituality and Health podcast.
2: Thank you, thank you for having me.
1: It's our pleasure. I am intrigued by something you write early on in the book. Oh, you know what, Let me, I just realized something. Before I go into the book, give, give us a two minute elevator speech on eco-somatics. What, what do you have and what, what does that mean so people know from the beginning?
2: Okay, so the quick definition is that it's the overlap between ecology and somatics. So it's how the body of one's being interacts with the body of Earth. And so it's about, you know, listen to your body, get to know your body, at the same time get to know the body of the Earth. So it's how the two are in relationship with each other.
1: Do you get a sense that, or, or let me put it this way? My sense is that my body is an extension of the earth.
2: Yes, or one and the same, but but yeah, an extension of. So yeah, yeah like, so a, I would say well like said. a
1: rose bush is an extension of the earth that my body right. is is similar. Yep. I would in, agree. I, can I get us sidetracked right from the beginning? <laughs> but you know, in in the Bible, which is my area of of interest primarily. In the second creation story, you know, people grow out of the earth. And the word for humanity, adam, comes from the word for earth, adama. Sadly, we translate it into English as man when it really means earthling. And it, the, the context of your book takes that, I don't mean the Bible story, but takes that as its starting point, that we are earthlings and not aliens plopped onto the planet from somewhere else. Is that... Fair to say?
2: Yeah, we are definitely Earthlings. And we are, I mean, without Earth, we would not be here. So we are totally dependent on it. So, you know, many say it's our mother, but yes, we are totally in interdependent relationship with the Earth.
1: Why do you think so many people want to get off planet? Either, either they want to, you know, get a ride on Elon Musk's ship to Mars, or, or they, they have a fantasy about, you know, the rapture where they're all going to be lifted by God off planet to some heavenly realm or lots of, lots of religions, you know, going going to, to nirvana, going to the pure land. Why do people want to get off planet when in fact we are the planet?
2: Yeah. So there's a lot of emphasis on live from your mind or live even in a fantasy of what you think the future or even an afterlife can be when this is all about, you know, live in this moment and find, you know, the heaven on earth or find the senses of your body. And I mean that not only in the five senses, but I'd say the intelligence of your body. And once you really start connecting into your body, then you do find that Sometimes heaven and, and sometimes a whole lot of other things. There's a great diversity of experiences that are available. And yet our conditioning is to get away from the body and not only get away from the flesh body, but get away from the, the
1: earth body. Yeah, there's something intrinsically, I mean, sometimes it's, people say it's evil or, or even when you don't go as far as evil, I think the technical term is yuck. <laughs> There's something <laughs> I like yucky. That technical word. You know, yeah. something yucky about it. And and that's what I was going to ask you in the beginning. You have this great sentence early in the book, and I'm just going to quote you back to you. You write, a perilous moment such as our current one is a call for us to shift our consciousness to awaken and cultivate who we are. And and I'm just wondering how how did we forget who we are?
2: Yeah. So I want to blame schooling. I want to blame religion and I want to say make a difference between re- religion and spirituality or even religion that is well shared as opposed to poorly shared. So, you know, we're definitely been taught to be separate from and to denigrate body, whether it's personal body or earth body. So from an early age, We've been separated and separated and separated, and it's just kind of continued.
1: Yeah, I I mean, it's just, I don't know. I mean, maybe no one noticed until we (laughs) reached a certain, until there were so many billions of us that it became a toxic, you know, in a sense, people, when when we buy into that mindset of, of that we're alien to this world, Maybe if there's only a few million of us, it doesn't matter. But when you get to eight billion, it's a the cancer has grown toxic and, and lethal. And there's just it, it reaches a point where if we don't cure ourselves, then we are going to I, I don't think we can destroy the earth. We'll destroy ourselves first. I agree. But we're causing tremendous damage. And and I get the sense I mean, you say in the subtitle of the book, embodiment practices for a world in search of healing. You don't say people in search of healing. You, you do say a world. And I don't, I'm, you can explain why you choose the word world. But this is why I had written the book, why I would have chosen the, world wor- the word world is because, and I know this is so trite, and I should sing it just to point out how silly it is that what I'm about to say, but we are the world. You know, we are in a sense the world made self-conscious right maybe to a point of of being neurotic but still and so these practices that that heal this division between the earthling and the earth they do heal the earth as right. as they heal us and and that seems to be what you're getting at am i on the right track
2: yeah and you know i mean you're also touching into the sense of belonging and so many of us do not feel like we belong anywhere. And not only do we not belong geographically to a place, but we also don't feel like we belong in our body. So our own body that we've been living with however many years we've been alive, I mean, that's an alien presence. And there's only so many of us who have taken up residence. I mean, I, I often quote James Joyce, and which he says, "You know, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body, and we live, many of us live far, far away from our body. And it's about, like, can you come home? Can you come home to your body?" And yes, we've spent, you know, our adult life getting further and further from our bodies unless we have taken on some practices. So it's by coming back into yourself, then you start finding, Connections to not only self but one another, other people, but also you know birds and mammals and plants and dirt, and you just find out that there is numerous
1: connections. When you talk about, again, it's in the title, embodiment practices. So you know, re re embodying the body. I guess you could say. I, I personally. Want to avoid any kind of split, even implied, that I am going to re-inhabit my body, because that implies that I exist separate from my body, and and that division of mental and physical, I think is a false division. I mean, I'm not a materialist. I don't I don't think, and this is going to be a question to you, what you think. I don't I don't think everything is matter, and you get to a a level of complexity in matter that gives you consciousness. I think it's the opposite. Then I think everything, from the the microscopic to the you know the cosmos, everything is mind. That everything is a kind of consciousness. I mean, it's not self consciousness that like like you and I might experience, but everything is conscious to one degree or another, and that somehow matter emerges from consciousness. So when we talk about embodying our physical selves. Is there a way to speak of that that doesn't give the sense of doesn't give us a dualistic sense of there's an I separate from my body? I don't know if am I making sense when I'm? Yeah,
2: yeah. so so one thing, I think of turning the body into a verb. So how are you bodying how you walk? How are you bodying oh, nice. this conversation, and that your body is not a, a staid thing it's not i mean it is a noun but it's also a verb but to just put it as you are a process so that that part of this whole understanding of the body i think is really important
1: i love that idea i love first of all i don't think there's any nouns in the universe i think everything is a process everything is a verb or a gerund so to use body as a verb i think is brilliant talk to us about practices one can do. I mean, there's obvious things like yoga, tai chi, qigong, but you mentioned walking and I perked up when I heard that because while I've done tai chi and I've done yoga and I still do qigong, walking is my primary bodying practice, you know, because I walk about five to seven miles a day and I could go on and on about what that does for me, not just physically, but but spiritually, emotionally. How important for you personally, maybe, but just as a practice, even even as a practice for a world in search of healing, is walking?
2: I, I love walking. I mean, that's one of my major activities also. So if we live closer, we'd probably walk together or walk into each other or wave to each other. But, you know, something like walking, along with a lot of other somatic activities. I mean, what it's doing is awakening our senses. So it's, you know, we're, we're able to see, we're able to smell, we're doing all of that. But we're also constantly having to adjust our body to whether it's the pavement or whether it's, you know, the uneven ground of a park or, you know, the just the ground itself. So the body is constantly being in Relationship with. And whereas so often, what our modern life is, is living from head, living from thought. And so we're always, you know, just kind of conceptualizing everything. And, and an activity like walking moves us out of conceptualizing into the present moment. And the present moment is about sometimes stumbling. And then looking down today, what was that uh, that I tripped on <laughs> but but it's you know also about looking at the sky and looking at the oak tree, and it's about watching the the woodpecker or listening to the woodpecker. And so all of those senses are being activated, and you know, I think the body is delighted by that and is fed by that. So I think something like walking is really important and something like yoga could be important as long as you're doing it with the spirit of a holistic activity and you're not just doing it to, I mean, you know, I guess there's some aspect if you want to just build up your muscles, okay, fine. But I think the original intention of yoga was a holistic appreciation of the mind-body-spirit connection
1: yeah I mean, yoga is to to yoke. I mean, that's what yoga was about to yoke. Right. mind right. body spirit into one or to realize that it already is one one system.
2: right. and and one of the the ideas that I'm pushing for in this book is that, yes, open yourself to your senses and and the five senses and go further than that if you can. and m- many of us can, but we've not been encouraged and that it's because we've been discouraged from doing so. That's what's broken our connection to self, and that's what's broken our connection to the earth, and which has created all sorts of toxicity on so many different levels.
0: Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, A weekend workshop, May 24th to 26th, at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive.
1: So that was something I wanted to talk to you about, these extraordinary senses. I mean, you talk about it, th- the way you put it in the book is to embrace a broader range of sensory and perceptive abilities Right. that, that I don't know, we've, we've been shut down. And, and you've spoken about this a little bit, you know, schooling and religion. We've, we've been robbed, not only of our identity as earthlings, but we've been robbed of our higher capacities of spirit, the sensory and perceptive abilities. Talk to talk to us a little bit about what you think they are.
2: Well, you know, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is when we were children. If we were living near a natural environment, we had a really enlivened relationship with a tree or a bird, and it wasn't just something that was out there. That, I mean, you know, what did you do today? Oh, you know. This bumblebee and I, we hung out together for a couple hours. Oh, and what did you talk about? And, you know, we had relationships then when we were, I don't know, five or eight. And then at some point, somebody said, well, that's stupid or "or that's cute, but basically put us down for having that sort of relationship. And not only that, you know, all the different extra senses that, you know, I, Hearing something that you didn't see or feeling something that everybody else says you can't feel that that's impossible. Well, well, many of us have, and as I've talked to various people over the years to have these, you know, so called extraordinary perceptions, so many people say, Yeah, I've had them, but I don't talk to anybody about them because I've been shamed by it by people. I'm like, Yeah, and that's not helpful so all of our sensitivities and when and even that word as i'm using it you know is considered pejorative oh you're sensitive not good no sensitive means i can hear the bear in the woods before i see the bear or i can smell the bear before i see the bear but a lot of us have been trained to no longer do that until the bear is right in front of us, <laughs> and it might be too late then. Yeah, and it's and it's not just you know being out it, in the woods, but even within the city too, and using all of our abilities to find a parking spot. You know, something as basic as that.
1: I, I want to get your take on this too. I I, I oh. also think it's it's other kinds of of maybe sensory abilities is the wrong thing because that seems like. Extensions of the five senses we have, but, but intuitive abilities, but also like in Buddhism, there's, there are even, and and in Hinduism, there's this rich dream work that one can do, that we have an ability to tap into layers of consciousness through dream that isn't available to us through normal waking states of consciousness. And then we either reduce those dreams to just commentary on ego states, or, we just say, oh, it's just a dream. Don't worry about it. It doesn't really matter. But those are other dimensions of consciousness that speak to us in a language of dream, symbol, et cetera, that is just, seems to me, just as rich, just as real as the language of, in our case, English or mathematics or or anything else.
2: I I would entirely agree. And there's just a small segment of the population, relatively, that recognizes or welcomes dreams and then i'd say okay there's dreams at night that we can be welcoming but as you said there's levels of consciousness even a dream level of consciousness when we're awake that we can also be tapping into but you know are you able to switch the channel or are you ignoring that information when it comes to you or are you ignoring it. Like, what are, what are you doing with that information? And most of us are not paying attention.
1: Right. And, and, and some of us don't know how to tune into it, but we could learn. And, and, and a lot of times, it's the people who are trying to say, oh, look, you could learn how to do this. Let me teach you. They're bogus, right? So they're, they're selling us faulty products. You know, they're not really, they're just trying to get money from us. And then we get just dis, disenchanted and oh, then it's a ripoff and I've been taken advantage of and I'll never listen to that kind of thing again. So we have to be careful. And there's a lot of this stuff on the internet that is, that is bogus. But you can't let the, you know, the, the hucksters get in the way of the truth of some of these things. So, there, like, I mean, like you're saying, there's just dimensions of consciousness that are available to us that we no longer have access to. At least not in our normal waking state. and then if we do have access to them, we don't know what to do with them. we can't integrate them back into our everyday lives. But that's what, what needs to happen, and I'm preaching here. I don't mean to do that, for but, but that, it seems to me, that's what needs to happen if we are going to heal, like you say in the book, if we're going to heal ourselves and heal the planet., okay, we, we, can- we need
2: to know who we are, and, and we don't really know who we are, or we know a few titles a few identities of who we are, but I'd say the majority of who we are remains hidden. And we may never know, you know, a hundred percent of that, but right now, what do we know? I don't know, maybe just ten percent. Let's bring it up to twelve or fifteen. So you know, even even a simple activity like sitting quietly. And which some people, many people, have great difficulty with because there's a lot of chatter in their minds i'm like great just notice that just notice that there's a lot of chatter going on and so that's one level of being and then if you stick with the chatter long enough other elements of who you are start emerging so right. that when you're saying the the layers of consciousness so other levels start emerging and you start finding out well gee what was that And I, that was just subtle that was so in the margins of my attention, but let me look at that and see what that is. And then suddenly you give it attention, you put it under the spotlight, and you find out there's a whole lot there. So You're that's a clue.
1: Right. And, and you talk in the book about mindfulness practice. Right. And I wanted to see if I'm reading the book accurately or I'm reading into the book. You know, rabbis are always looking for the subtext. <laughs> you know, we think, Everything is, is code for something else, you know, so we're always looking beneath the surface. So I may be reading into this in a way in which you don't intend, but let, let me, let's see where this goes. So you have a section of the book called a mindful approach. And you say that mindfulness is something that this is a quote, you know, which more and more people are embracing. And then a paragraph later, You talk about mindfulness, quote, at its best, unquote, and a paragraph after that, you can see how I'm like really parsing this paragraph, this this section. You say mindfulness as it was intended, close paragraph. Mm -hmm. So what I hear in that is that there's mindfulness as it was intended, and then there's mindfulness as most people are doing it. Now, mm-hmm. that's my bias personally, so I may be just reading my own bias into your book. Yeah. But popular mindfulness sort of strips the practice of its, and again, this is me, strips the practice of its deeper promise of some kind of transformative awakening in favor of stress reduction and make you a more successful employee and, and consumer. I mean, it, it does, it does right. work. You know, John Kabat-Zinn's work with people who are, chronic illness and chronic pain, I mean, that's powerful use of mindfulness. I've taken that program. I've seen what it can do for people in that situation, so I'm not knocking that. But when it's used to make you a better cog in the capitalist system, that's not what Buddha had in mind. So how do you think mindfulness... What do you th- I don't know what the, how to phrase it exactly, but how was or what was the original intent of mindfulness, you think?
2: Well... Well, let me first say what many people misconstrue it. They think it's a way to be calm. And so the goal is, or you know, aside from maybe capitalizing it, as you've said, is to be calm regardless. So if you have any thoughts or emotions that are disrupting the calm, push them away. And it ends up being a type of control and a type of spiritual bypassing. Mm. And I think as it is intended mindfulness as it's intended is meant to find out what is there it's not about ploughing it under or over but just find out what's there and when you allow what's there to be seen seen heard felt whatever is the the sensory channel it comes in it immediately starts to change and that's where The liberation starts to take place. You know, what you resist persists, and yet what you allow then starts morphing. And then you find out too that there are choices. And then you find out too that there's a big difference between reactivity and responsiveness. And I think mindfulness is about being responsive to situations, which Includes choice, whereas reactivity is knee jerk. And oh, did I just say that? Oh, did I just do that? And I think too much of our culture, certainly lately, is into reactivity. And if we could just take some time, pause, get to know, be more mindful, then we find out that there's other ways one can be with themselves. And how one can be with others.
1: So I want to, you know, I'm mindful of the of our time, and we are coming up on the end. So unfortunately, I saved the, the most complicated question for the end. So you have to either say, "Oh, I don't know," there's no time, or whatever well, you I'll
2: want. Just say yes or no, and give. Okay, and make there it you go. Healthy. Yes or no,
1: but it's not that kind of question. Oh. So when you're sitting in mindfulness practice, because this is my experience, and I'm observing. Thoughts, feelings, not reacting, not just not judging them. Just okay, there's this sensation, there's this thought. Who do you think the observer is?
2: Yeah, you're right. This is a complicated question. So, and
1: we're out of time. So.
2: Sorry. <laughs> no, well, you I, know, no, I'm joking. No. Go ahead. <laughs> so, that's a good question. So, it might be several different selves within oneself. So, I mean, it could be the child observing, one's own inner child. It could be an adolescent. It could be so many different selves within oneself. But at some point, you might get to a higher self is sometimes what it's referred to. So it's kind of a more neutral observer. And I know, I mean, I can feel myself when it's kicked in because I start feeling like an anthropologist to my own life. Oh, look at Cheryl, look at what she's doing, let me take notes. <laughs> As opposed to me being fully enmeshed in the experience. And, and sometimes it's also both. So, you know, I think in some ways you're aiming for a degree of both or at least there's a little knob in which you can put it on the slider and have it go a little more one direction or another. So I would call it maybe the higher self, but I also don't like to get too caught up in the nouns.
1: Right. I mean, that, that just gets us into more and more complex nonsense. Right. Uh, you know, my, my own, I mean, I, I'm coming from the Advaita Vedanta background in this context. So, you know, and, and in that context, the whole notion is that there's this infinite I am consciousness of which we are all a part, when the earth is a part and all of that. And that you can ultimately, when you ask, so who's sensing and who's feeling, the questioner, the asker, when you look to see, it's always you can't see it because it's always the looker, the seer can never be seen. Mm-hmm. And and so there's always this unknown perspective. That can't be named, can't be labeled, can't be anything that's really aware of the whole thing, right? But cannot, but no, but cannot be aware of itself because then it's, then it's just, you know, you have to, it's ad infinitum, you know, back and back and back. There's always this unknown I, I guess you could say, that is the ultimate awareness. And it's the same I for you and I and everything else in the universe. That to me is the, is the, I don't know, I don't know how to put ultimate perspective that, that I think is the healing perspective. But mindfulness is a way to get to that when you link mindfulness with what Ramana Maharshi calls self-inquiry, you know, who is having this feeling or where does, you know, that trace it back and you realize there's no back. There's right, just this right. consciousness. Um, yeah.
2: And and I would say, you know, be careful about getting too caught up in the inquiry, which then puts you can get you stuck in your mind and in the, the whirlpool of your mind which is why I like the verbs. <laughs> so w- instead of asking who am I, I'll say what what is happening. You know, so and and I won't even necessarily use a full sentence. I might just say listening to frogs, feeling hungry, you know, so making sure there's the gerund there. <laughs> and yeah. then I get into the process and there's some liberation in that for me and I don't have to Get too caught up in finding out, well, well, who am I, and or which I? Right. So then I no, get that's, stuck. I think,
1: that, that's, I think that's very good advice in the in the Bible. Just to bring that back in again, from as I did in the beginning, when when God reveals the, the name Echia, which is translated as I am, it's a verb. It's really eyeing. It's a, it's more like a gerund, though. It's not good trans. It's not easy to say into, in English, but yeah, it's, it's always a verb and it includes just what you're saying, the somatic as well as the, what we should call it, the, psych, the psycho, the par, part of it. So th- this has really been interesting and I, I, we are out of time. I'm going to have to stop this, but it's fascinating talking to you and a fascinating book. Our guest today, Dr. Cheryl Pallant, is the author of Ecosomatics, embodiment practices for a world in search of healing. Ecosomatics is reviewed in the May, June 2023 issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Cheryl, thanks so much for joining us on the Spirituality and Health podcast.
2: Well, thanks for having me. It's been a a delight to speak with you.
1: Well, feel the same way. Spirituality and Health podcast is produced by Ezra baker Trupiano. And our executive producer is Zach Avery. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five star rating on your podcast app. And if you're not already a subscriber to Spirituality and Health magazine, please become one at spiritualityhealth.com. From everyone at Spirituality and Health magazine, we thank you for your support.